down in Georgia some years ago, my mother moved out of an old house where our family had lived for almost a century and a half. It's outstanding how much stuff can accumulate in the course of five or six generations. The cellar and attic were crammed with boxes and trunks full of an incredible assortment of odds and ends. And since she was moving to a much smaller place, my mother asked my sisters and I to look over it and get rid of most of it. I began, I must confess, with the visions of rare, valuable Confederate stamps dancing in my head or possibly an autograph of Button Gwinnett, the shy delegate from Georgia who signed his name to the Declaration of Independence, but hardly anywhere else, with the result that his signature is worth thousands of dollars today. It soon became evident, though, that all we had really was a mighty collection of antiquated junk. But I found something of value all the same. I found it in the letters, a whole trunk full of them. Most of them were written in faded ink and grimy with the dust of decades. We'd stand there in the shuttered room, angled deep in mismatted spurs of andirons and tarnished epaulets and scraps of torn lace and faded barcodes and would read a paragraph or two. And it was like listening to voices, faint and far away, echoing down the corridor of time. The letters were never about great historical events. They weren't passionate love letters either. They simply chronicled the lives of ordinary people, parties and picnics, business successes or failures, pets, children, the weather. They may almost have been written by my sisters to me or vice versa, except one thing. The emotional restraints that have become part of our daily lives were largely lacking. The people in those generations cared about one another enormously and intimately, and they said so with an emphasis that was perhaps naive, but was also deeply impressive. In a hundred different ways, they spoke of their love and admiration for one another, and you could feel their sincerity warm on the brittle paper. You don't know how much your visit meant to me. When you left, I felt as if the sun had stopped shining. The courage with which you were facing your difficulties is an inspiration for all of us. We haven't the slightest doubt that you'll end up, will triumph over all of them. Have I told you lately what a wonderful person you are? Never forget how much your friends and family love and admire you. How wonderful you are. That was a steady refrain, and it made me stop and think. In each of these people, no doubt, there had been much that could have been criticized. But when you remember the times they had lived through, 
the war that ended for them in poverty and bitterness and defeat, the terrifying epidemics of yellow fever, it was impossible to escape the conclusion that the writers of these letters were stronger than we are, that they faced greater tests with greater fortitude. And where did they get that strength? The answer lay in my dusty hands. They got it from one another. Never forget how much you are loved and admired. There it is, the faith, the encouragement, these strands of reassurance woven into a powerful network of mutual support. Nobody had to face anything without their allies, whose loyalty was beyond question. Nobody was ever alone. You see, such loyalty and affection were implicit in my own family relationships. I knew, but they were seldom expressed, and certainly not in such a forthright way. Somewhere along the line, my generation had put a check rein on the release of such emotions. To give utterance to them had become corny, somehow faintly foolish. It was out of fashion. It was just wasn't done. I don't pretend to know what brought this change about, but I do know this. It seriously interferes with one of the deepest of all human needs, the desire for acceptance and approval by other people. Knowing that he is loved the individual does not have to worry about acceptance or approval. He's got them. Knowing that he is admired, his self-confidence remains high. If other people believe that he can cope with his difficulties, then the fear of failure, the most paralyzing of all fears, recedes and diminishes. The converse is also true. It has been said that you tend to become what you think you are, but what you think you are is colored, inevitably, by what you conceive other people's opinion of you are. If you think you are critical or even indifferent, your self-esteem shrinks, and with it your capacity for living. <laughs>